Welcome back, everyone, to the Cancel for Maintenance podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we are a podcast that takes a behind-the-scenes look into the gritty, non-glamorous life of aviation maintenance. We share some laughs, impart some wisdom, all in hopes of giving you that split-seconds relief in your day that can prevent a mishap. I am your co-host, Six. I am MBP. And our third co-host, Shoreline, is silently sitting in the back, adjusting knobs, making sure our audio is good to go, and ensuring our faces stay fit for radio. So we rarely cover crashes and mishaps, mostly because when dire situations like these come up, it's typically sounded all around the corners of the land, and the horse gets beaten beyond the point of glue. (laughs) Plus, it might be... Well, you say is you know too soon type situation and out yeah. of respect for the for the dead you know if you will or maybe it seems a little tactless to to discuss it yeah that too and and usually most mishaps use there's going to be some type of loss of life involved and that's uh, as MVP said like we tend to not we like to not dance around graves for that most part I mean if there's a life lesson to learn like say they lived then maybe but yeah. Uh, we do, however, want to take this time today to um, emphasize the importance of testing, troubleshooting, following proper steps, you know, to remedy shortfalls, maybe mitigate some risks before they escalate into issues, which in some cases you may not have the wiggle room to escape from. <laughs> um, at the time of this recording, we just received news that the Titan submersible from Ocean Gate was lost at sea, most likely due to a catastrophic implosion of the vessel's hull. Uh, the current root cause or expert weigh-in on the most likely of causes is still ongoing. And probably by the time this episode airs, we may or may not have learned more about what happened. Uh, we will say like our condolences go out to all the families of the crew and the amount of effort that was that went into trying to refine them so with that said uh from what we understand now about some of the likely causes of this incident it seemed like this all could have been preventable or at least better mitigated (laughs) so what we know of so far with this sub is it's probably very generous to call that a sub for one i mean I think like the the monitor that was used in the freaking Civil War was a probably better suited sub than what this thing was, you know. So the old iron sides, you know. Yeah, and and we we say that based on some articles that came out just within the last twelve hours about this uh, incident, and um, from what we gathered, some of the stuff here was very hodgepodge together, or it was it wasn't. Um, it wasn't well thought of. Let's well, call it. Let's, that. let's just say, like the R and D was very minimal on this yeah. project, right? <laughs> uh, you know, and, and why, why, why Six and I want to talk about this today is the importance of research and development, the R and D, the importance of uh, test testing, yes, uh, all various aspects of it, right? Most of us in aviation, uh, you know. My side, I've worked in in, in test environments quite a bit. Uh, you're constantly testing new mod- modifications, softwares, uh, altitudes, uh, temperature, stresses, all sorts of stuff. Well, submarines or submersibles or hollow weights, essentially, um, must should undergo the same thing because just the amount of stresses and pressures and aircraft experiences at high altitude uh you know go the other way with the added weight of gravity on a submarine on a submarine yeah so uh an, ex- an example like for some of us uh besides like the r&d of it all is like uh say you're fabricating parts for instance like say uh pressure treated lines or hard solid lines you would have some individuals that like, just make it look like this and move on with life. And I'm, I admit, I've done it before. Like, I just get like a work sample and s- take it to whoever the hy- hydraulic shop is. I'm like, hey, may just make it look like this. It's like, well, I cannot just make it look like this, right? There's all sorts of things that go into it. And that's kind of a callback to one of our previous episodes about uh, owner, owner-produced parts. Like, it cannot just look like that. It has to have all kinds of specs to go with it. And 
I give this example because like say with hydraulic lines, for instance, once it's made, you can't just like send it to the, to the line. It has to have, go through a sort of test to make sure that it's not going to burst before we expect it to. Uh, and most hydraulic lines, depending on the size, it usually has a burst pressure limit of anywhere between 6,000 to 8,000 PSI. And that's a lot. I mean, you, and for the most part, like you're not going to take it to 8,000 unless you already have a second one, kind of like a dis- uh, a destruction sample or a destruction um, inspection for it just to make sure like, hey, these two are exactly identical. We're going to run one through the through the test and see when it bursts. So if this one breaks, then we pretty much know that this one's about the same one. So uh, kind of off-tangent example of that. But the reason why <laughs> we want these kind of tests and We've been in situations before where certain individuals of a higher collar value would try to push through these things to either get it done faster or just skip it all together because we have a low risk of failure or whatever those cases may be. There are certain things that you just shouldn't skip. <laughs> An example is like, say, like with hydraulic lines or in our current example with the submarine, there are certain things that you might not want to just wish wash your way through it. And... um uh, MVP brought up a great example before we started the episode where like uh, certain designs with this submersible and other similar submersibles <clears throat> weren't exactly up to par <laughs> or weren't within standard as we as we would call it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when, there's a video, I think that they did maybe a year and some change ago with the CEO and they were explaining you know, the ins and outs of the submersible, uh, you know, and they were showing that here's these monitors, here's the porthole, here's this bathroom, uh, you know, and, and here's how you control it, a Bluetooth, uh, you know, wireless game controller. And, hmm. you, you know, and while it all looks cool and sci-fi-ish and whatever else, mm-hmm. uh, it, it looked very... Well, it looks like something you know you might build for a home gaming station or, or a backyard build or, I, I don't know, you know, a, a, a Gen One rendition that you're gonna essentially explode in a pressure tank. Yep. You know, you know, it, it, it's not gonna survive its first. It, it's basically made to be destroyed. Yes, <laughs> but you might test out your softwares and stuff in it, and these different applications, and these monitors, and X, Y, Z, and okay. You know, here's where we NDI'd it, and here's where we learned our, our stress cracks are at at this level, and then at this level, and at this level, and then at this level is catastrophic failure. Mm-hmm. But we know we can make it to this level, and the hull will still remain intact, but we can't go any further. We got to go, we got to resurface, you know. Uh, yeah. and, and even then, even the interviewer uh, of that article even said it looked very, um, what did you say? It looked very homemade, <laughs> you know, and it wasn't a, that wasn't a term of endearment when the way you said it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, the design as well, right. You get in through the nose and the nose is bolted on from the outside. So once you're inside, there's no escape, no emergency hatch, no, no anything. So that's, that's also a problem because let's just say, you know, you get down to, let's just say you get down to 500 meters and you start noticing uh, some portholes and stuff starting to fail. There should be at least an emergency exit. So once you get back to a certain level, that hatch will pop and you can at least get out and swim the rest of the way up or whatever, I guess. I don't know. I'm not a submarine expert. But what right. I'm saying is, is research and development to know the weak points, to then strengthen those weak points. And then determine safety uh, issues from there, resolve those safety issues, and make it a a repeatable unit. You think uh, SpaceX, how many trial and errors did they go through developing reusable rockets and are still going through? Right. You know? Yeah. There, I, think, I think their one saving grace on that is it's unmanned, right? So they're pretty much just like throwing up a really, really, really expensive 
lawn dart uh, strapped to a gasoline tank. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's more to it than that, obviously, but that's more or less what they're doing. They're strapping a lawn dart to a fuel tank and then sending it up as high as it can go. It's like the most expensive freaking kid project ever. But anyway, but like as MVP was saying, like this whole test, uh, check, verify, retest, check, verify, retest. This cycle exists for a reason because of stuff like this. And uh, going on to what MVP said about safety is uh, apparently uh, there was a uh, interviewer who was shown these subs, was shown this, and he, he was made aware of a prior uh, prior uh, or a former employee of this uh, company that pretty that made a complaint to uh, all the safety councils and whatnot or safety associations that said this thing is unsafe and. It's made out of material that's not rated for this type of a dive. It's not uh, safe at this type of a dive. And the the max depth that this thing is certified, air quote, certified and rated for is like maybe a third of what the, the target depth of where we're trying to go. So for everyone keeping track at home, the, the submarine was trying to take a, a tour of the Titanic, which is sunk in the... North Atlantic about 12,000 feet down. Yeah. So 12,000 feet, that's about 4,000 meters, right? For all our, uh, our non-imperial <laughs> me- All of our metric system. friends. Yeah, all our metric friends. About 4,000 meters, right? The submarine that this um, former employee said was only rated up to 1,300 meters or 4,600 feet. That's quite a difference. You know, to go for it's uh, a massive difference, you know, like, yeah, like, think about that, right? Like, hey, we have this thing. Let's call it a sub. It's ma- it's max rated for 4000 feet. That's ex- that's burst pressure. 4000 feet. And you know what? Let's take this to 12000. Why not? Why not? It sounds like a huge concern, you know? Um, so for that to just say, you know what? Let's just roll it. I'd be really unsafe about that. And then uh, same interviewer from a previous from the one who wrote that article, um, he went down on a dive with a similar sub from that same company just last year, and something about the electronics broke or malfunctioned or something. The submarine basically got lost for a couple hours. Like they lost communication, they lost contact, and the submarine itself they didn't know where it was at in the depths in the ocean like that would be scary as shit <laughs> i mean uh when you're that far down there's no phone or friend <laughs> there's no uh siri where am i or well, whatever everything was bluetooth right so so it's not even they can't even track its location there's no gps tracker that somebody on the surface can track where this thing's going they oh it's by cell signal yeah well hell i can't get my cell to work in the parking lot of work, is it going to work at 4,000 meters Yeah, down at the bottom of the ocean? Probably not. Yeah. You know, so that was another caveat to this is like, like uh, off the shelf Radio Shack equipment. Not That's not a dig at Radio Shack, everybody. But what I'm saying is, is that it, it, it's stuff that's made for a hobbyist use, not professional grade equipment. Right. You know, like. Like, who who puts something that's going to go down to the bottom of the ocean that you can't track, and it pings its it pings its uh, location via cell signal? Well, I, again, I don't know how about you, but I don't know how good cell signals work in the middle of the ocean and at four thousand feet below it or four thousand meters below it. Yeah, you know, like it, it's it was just it, it seemed very not well thought out. Like I am go- how can I get how can I build the cheapest submersible I can and charge people hundreds of thousands of dollars to to get inside of it and go down. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's just that kind of, when you think about that, you're like, what do you mean there's no way to track it? Yeah, there's no way to track it. So, well, how are you guys going to locate it? Man, we're pinging sonar. That's all we're doing. We're a bunch of bats underwater. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And then uh, I, from the very limited knowledge I know about sonar is... When you cross certain depths, it's the the signal that that sonar has put out at a certain once it hits a certain depth, like the density just kind of bounces off. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like um, 
like those charts where you see like the different levels of the ocean it's all colored different like your light blue dark blue fucking black um between those different zones there's like different densities from what i understand and sometimes the density fucks with the sonar so like when they shoot it off it doesn't exactly go through it it kind of bounces or scatters or some shit like that it's kind of like throwing sound against a wall like it's not gonna go through all the way some of it's gonna bounce off so for all we know (laughs) and that's with like professional grade sonar now imagine like we're using like low-end very hobbyist style equipment how trustworthy is that and case in point like with this one interviewer like we said when he went down last last year they lost signal they couldn't find the fucking thing for hours on end that must have been some scary shit like for the people down up up on the surface like yo where the hell did this sub go and then the guys in the sub like where the fuck are we and for all they know instead of going up they're going down and just going further into the abyss for fucking the kraken or some shit they come get them you know <laughs> well yeah i mean uh they they suspect you know all right did it actually land within the wreckage of the titanic because that's another thing it couldn't really guide itself right you saw if you saw pictures there had like uh, fans on the side and on the back and on the top of it, which looked like it would be for steering, but it actually said there was no way to steer it. It was, it was just, you kind of like, we suspect the Titanic's in this area, bombs away. And you kind of float down to it, but, but I guess the fans could steer you a little bit, but I, they didn't seem like they were fully articulating. You know, there was no outboard uh riggers to to adjust from what i saw again i'm not the expert here but but from what i've heard in different articles and right you know two sides every pancake and you know no matter how flat you make it or whatever but they said it was it was pretty much just a weight that you had to drop in the location of the titanic and hope that you your aim was true jeez uh and they suspect it might have gotten caught you know, on the, initially it caught on the Titanic, and, and that's what tore it apart. When they tried to get free of it, of the wreckage, they, you know, but as Six said earlier, it seems like the most logical, because they found debris, but scattered uh, around, seems like uh, it was an implosion. Yeah. So that hole, that hole, uh, or that porthole lens probably uh, gave way, as we alluded to earlier, right? It was only rated to 1,300 meters. And that, that poor hole probably gave way and then the whole thing just imploded on itself, which is, you know, unfortunate. Uh, I, I couldn't think of a more horrendous way to go. But they also suspect that maybe at the temperatures down there, because the hull wasn't very well insulated, right? So mm-hmm. they suspect that the, uh, you know, they could have almost frozen to death first before all that happened. I, I don't want to get too much into that. It's the more morbid side of things, but but my God, uh, terrible. But just the fact that you can't, you couldn't track that thing. So then a year ago, right? We're t- let's go back to a year ago. Mm-hmm. They did a test a year ago and they lost the thing. Nobody was inside, but they dropped it in the water and said, okay, let's ping the signals or whatever. Or let's, uh, let's see if we can find the old Titanic down there with some camera setups and stuff. Well, hell, they lost the thing then for two hours. And I think one of the emergency systems kicked off, which was a big inflatable balloon, and it brought it back to the surface. And that's the only way they got it back. Um, but wouldn't you think then you go, okay, 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 okay. We didn't make it. We didn't even make it close. We had, uh, we lost it. So there's no way to, to track it. So we definitely need to come up with a better uh, tracking system or at least a, a waypoint tr- marker of some type, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then, okay, our one failsafe worked, but it what triggered it? Why did it set off? It was supposed to go all the way to 4,000 meters, and it set off at 1,000 meters, whatever. I don't know whatever it was, but, like, so that something caused that to trigger. What was that? Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the purpose of test and development. Yep. You, you Okay, this worked. Here, here we go. We got this. Holy cow, that was a... And, and, yeah, that was a massive failure. And it looks like <clears throat> the CEO almost looked at that. and was like, oh, that was a big success. It went down and we got it back. But I imagine everybody on the recovery boat was looking at him going, were you, were you part of the same mission we were? 
Like we're <laughs> lucky to have this thing back. Right. You know, but it, and, it didn't do what we designed it to do. Well, yeah, but it went underwater and came back. Well, I guess by that token, let me jump in real quick and come back up. Well, I'm a, I'm a submarine too. <laughs> you know, uh, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it seems like, uh, ego, what do they say? Pride go, be, goeth before the fall. Yep. And that seems like that's what happened in this situation. Mm, yes, yeah, sadly it is. And we've, we've seen all sorts of scenarios like this in the aviation world our, ourselves, right? And from small to big, right? Uh, small examples being like, uh, home built planes, for instance, or home restoration planes, like uh, a bunch of individuals that get pretty, uh, pretty up spirited or high spirits to restore a plane or build a plane themselves. They don't have a whole lot of know-how to do it, or they just, they ask enough to kind of move along. And instead of like having like the second set of eyes or or whatever have you to kind of knock around this thing and make sure it's it's fitted good they just send it up and hope for the best which sadly so like a lot of these type of air quote experimental planes which is a flash of ego or sorry home built planes or home restored planes as a flash of ego has been one of the leading causes for crashes fancy enough um another example of like where the egos take over is like uh rushing planes through production right because you're trying to make a sale or you're trying to beat out the competition so uh, i'll say like uh, in a competitive scene you kind of want to move fast and do things you know a little in a hasty manner but there's certain checks that are made by certain regulations and certain standards for a reason um and then yeah, that's the whole reason those standards exist, because otherwise, if there were no standards, uh, I think aviation would have died with the Wright brothers. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't or, be to the level it's at today. Exactly. Right. Or we're going to learn all our lessons. Uh, well, we kind of do still, but a lo- almost all of our lessons we have, if had it not been for tests, would have all been written in blood. And a good chunk of them are, I'm sad to say a good chunk of them are, but a va- uh, and also a good percentage of that is because of stuff we found during a test, either through a controlled version or like it was very... Uh, minimal risk to everybody else. It was kind of like, well, if this thing wrecks, then at least we know it's only going to be contained in this little area instead of like fucking everybody, right? Uh, example is like saying rushing uh, flight software, right? That's It's never been tested before. It's never been ran on a flight before. And so we're like, you know what? Full send, roll it. And then next thing you know, this thing pitches into the dirt thinking it's going down, going lower, not higher, or it, it reverses the controls you're trying to pull up and it's going down faster. Or um, another one is like, say like uh, experimental GPS where like, if this thing crosses a different time zone, it think it went into the future and it just fucking lawn darts itself into the freaking into the nearest uh, cliffside because it can't deal with being in the future or some shit like that. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, th- think about your nav charts, right? Yeah. Any, any avionics text listening. How every month you got to load, you got to load new nav charts, right? Those nav charts are updated to reflect uh, different, different traffic patterns, different things that are, you know, no fly zones that the military has put out for that month, different, uh, well, you name it. I'm not a, I'm not, it's been a while since I've done that. So I apologize, but all sorts of nav charts and stuff that you, that you have to load into the aircraft monthly. Think about, think about that, right? Uh, think about, just that alone that you do for an aircraft that wasn't done for that submersible. They didn't load any depth gauges or meters. It says, okay, we're at X amount of feet. Uh, you know, look for this, blah, blah, blah. The submersible should be doing something at that time. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's the same thing with, you know, in the aviation, like we do all these things to ensure that those aircraft get off the ground, do their mission safely, get back, no harm. Everything's perfect. Uh, reset, redo. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, yeah, absolutely right. And, you know, like imagine that level of care we have to put forth for things that, that leave above ground. Same sort of things happen for the ones that go below the surface. And the fact that some of these, uh, um, for lack of a better word, like accusations <laughs> are saying like they didn't perform any of these things 
And it kind of, I'm kind of leaning in that direction too. It's like, it sounds like a lot of the steps were skipped, right? A lot of testing wasn't done properly. A lot of standards weren't followed to the T. And I'll admit there are some standards that are a little convoluted or they're all over the place. So kind of navigating your way through it's a little messy. I get it. But at the same time, you know, like it's one of those like you should probably like double check with somebody, right? Or some kind of entity like, hey, are we are we on the right track with this thing? Like, are we moving forward? And and sometimes like it may seem convoluted, it may seem a little too much, but you know, like what what's the risk of doing it versus not, right? That's where we kind of go into that cost benefit analysis where like if we were to skip this step, what are we gaining? What are we losing? If we do this step, what are we gaining? What are we losing? And so forth and so forth. In this example, the the cost benefit would be like, well, it's going to take a little longer for us to do this, but the chances of chance of this thing getting crushed like a soda can in a quick, in a trash compactor is probably less. <laughs> and it's it's a it's it's a bad call like however you say it however you see it like in the events that happen as of today but again that just what mvp and i have been stressing like the the testing that goes into these parts the testing that goes into the certification of certain things uh even on us on the line just doing routine day-to-day maintenance like the pre-op checks the hydraulic test the 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 maxi taxi i guess you want that's the way to call it uh High speed taxi test. I'm sorry, maxi taxi. <laughs> uh, these 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 may sound a waste of time. This may sound like oh man, now we gotta pay people to do this. We gotta uh, man personnel to do this just to have, have it roll like uh, burn skids or burn tires for 50 feet. Yeah, like because uh, we've seen it uh, time and uh, time before where the an aircraft goes to do a high speed taxi test. It hits the brakes and it skids off into the freaking dirt. We're lucky that it, all it did was skid off into the dirt. But imagine like if something more serious happened, like um, the brakes didn't go at all and it goes full speed into a building or the aircraft, like some the autopilot or something kicks in, thinks it's losing altitude and it tries to max power and take off, you know, stuff like that. So uh, a lot of these like... Uh, tests these operational checks these functional flight checks and all sorts of ground support equipment tests and certifications they exist for reasons exactly like this to mitigate that that chance of risk uh, and then say example for like the submarine i'm not a i'm not an expert myself on what a submarine supposed to be certified by or how but i'd imagine it's it's almost as intense, if not more Pretty intense. rigorous, I would think, right? Yeah, exactly. I would think it would be just as, if not more, than an aircraft because it's the dealing FSA with... or something? Federal Submarine Association? I made that up, but, you know. <laughs> right? I would think, right? Something like that. So help us out, somebody. Like, if uh, what, what does a submarine have to go through to be rated at its depth? And I would imagine it kind of goes through a lot, especially because if it's spending majority of its time under the surface, if at minimum, I don't know, uh, hundreds of thousands of pounds of pressure just from the outside, from the water. And that's like under prime conditions, which is another thing that uh, these articles were saying about the submersible is like the to visit the Titanic or to even do studies on the Titanic. There ha- there's like maybe a, a two to three month window for you to do it. And the reason why is because like weather plays a huge part in that area and i've only traveled around the atlantic maybe once or twice and most of the times it was calm seas but i'd imagine it'd be extremely rough so and especially i think like there's certain areas where it gets like heavy hurricane prone seasons but from what these articles were saying like there's only maybe a two to three month window to visit or to study the titanic and because of all the weather conditions and how that plays a role with underwater and all that stuff so they said, or these articles said that it's about maybe late June to about, or early July to about uh, the first couple weeks of September is when you can do those dives. And so here comes the submarine does it just just shy of July. 
<laughs> to just uh, just before the July season. So there, so a lot of people are starting to question, like, well, why did they want to dive so early? Like, why they're like at the beginning of the of the season to go study that place? What was the big rush? Like, couldn't they wait it a couple of weeks? Could they just like, you know, get it when they're in the middle of the season where it's like calmest? Who knows? Who knows? But I think that kind of plays into what MVP said earlier, where it kind of goes into that ego of it all, right? Like, I want to be the first. I want to be, I want to show up, show up and show out with a bang or whatever. And we, we've seen time and again where attitudes like that, they pay off. When they pay off, they pay off big. But usually big payoffs like that usually come with an extreme amount of risk. And well, that's what they say the CEO was in that too. He was a person who was a, high risk, high reward type thing. Like he was willing to accept risk greater than he probably should have, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because uh, he, all he was seeing was big reward. But like, you know, you know, Batman mm-hmm. only got his good armor because Superman could could forge it on the surface of the sun, right? Like <laughs> Batman yeah. wouldn't have been able to do that type thing. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we like I said, we understand that mindset of high risk, high reward. Now, I will say like uh, there's a big difference between calculated risk, like we know this is gonna happen, and here's kind of like our steps to either mitigate it, avoid it, or accept it. And there's just just blatantly not listening to it at all, like just whatever, get me there, you know. <laughs> now I can't, we can't speak to the mindset these guys have, but I will probably mention like if this thing has failed at least twice. That might be a sign, you know, like I might have taken a, a couple extra steps before I put actual people in it, you know, maybe throw some crash dummies or something and kind of put some like, well, yeah, something that would simulate how a human body would react to pressures down at those levels. Right. And you could put sensors on them. I mean, think about like when you're doing stre- uh, stress testing vibe, vibe checks or whatever, you know, is anybody out there ever hung an aircraft? Uh, from big giant bungee cords, essentially, and you shake the shit out of it mm-hmm. with all these different Roselle, uh, you know, string gauges and things like that, and figuring out where the stresses and ripple effects are going and what what causes uh, what damage those could potentially cause. I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff that I would think you'd be putting it into a pressure tank somewhere and saying, "Okay, let's shake the shit out of it. Let's increase pressure." We have pig carcasses in there because those are pretty similar to a human uh you know and we have uh stress gauges attached to the carcasses to see what kind of pressures the that the the animal or the carcass is feeling at certain depths and temperature changes blah 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 you know okay well you know we're down a thousand meters and it's already 15 degrees fahrenheit (laughs) we should probably insulate this better yeah. Oh, well, that adds weight in XYZ. Cool. Well, it's a good thing we're trying to sink then, you know. But then with that, we got to revamp how we're going to get back to the surface. Um, just just a myriad of things that should have that should have been done. And then so all of you, you know, we all we work and you're like, oh my God, I've been on this test bird for I've been on this test bird for six months. I'm so tired of doing tests. Is it necessary to do all this? Yeah, there's a reason it's being done. You may not see it at the time, but there's a reason it's being done. Mm-hmm. How about electrical power, right? We always we're doing electrical checks. You know, okay, an aircraft gets struck by lightning at altitude. Oh, okay, well what causes it not to fry out its whole system, you know? Bonding bonding straps, uh, static wicks, you name it. Mhm. And, and so same thing for a submersible going down 4000 meters. What's going to keep your electronics from from freezing out, or or like, the pressures from crushing diodes and stuff? Again, I'm not not super savvy with the uh, effects of pressure on those equipment, but just just speaking in general, right? Or or imagine like say like uh, if it say the hole was only rated for so much and it sprung a leak and then that leak gets into all the electronic equipment, like. That, that'd be one of the saddest way to go is you got caught in a fire underwater. That's, yeah. <laughs> but 
Yeah, Again, oh yeah, that's, that's a good point. Like, what was the fire suppression system? Yeah. You know. Or, okay, the electronics are routed through the hull, but what happens if the outer hull springs a leak? Or is it going to short out my electronics and I'm just floating blind? Or, 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 I, I don't know. I don't know. Just a whole, whole slew of things. Yeah, a whole, a whole lot of what ifs, right? Like we're asking more questions than we have answered. But, that, but that's exactly what the point is, right? Like that's how you kind of brainstorm like, okay, what's our risk? What's our, what, what's our ways to mitigate it? Some of it just starts by asking what if, what if questions, right? Like, and that's the same thing that applies to the guys on the line. This applies to people in, in general aviation, AOG. Like what's, ask the what if. What happens if this, or I do this? What, what's the uh, effect if? Whatever, whatever the case, you can spin this however you want. But like, that's why you see, like, on the seven eighty seven, right? When they put those carbon fiber wings on that thing back in the early days of it, mm-hmm. they were testing it. They stress tested it to the point where they they tried to touch. They almost touched wingtips over top of the fuselage. Those wings flexed that much before they snapped. And then same way when they flexed them down, they almost touched wingtips underneath of the fuselage, but. That's the R and D side. You're gonna to have to spend money to make money. Uh, so, so you know, Boeing built two sets of wings, knowing full well that they were going to destroy them in the process. Like we literally spent money to hundreds of thousands of dollars to build these, to know knowing that we're going to strap a bunch of gauges to them and and snap them in two. You know. Yeah. But 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 out of that, we know. Wow, we can take we can take 15 30 G's whatever in this aircraft and these wings will be fine. And we'll never we'll never reach those. And if we do, something severe happened, but we're never going to reach those in normal flight. So we know that the engineering and the design and the materials we've chosen to build these wings are more than adequate to take whatever beating they're going to take on continued repetitive flights but something i want to touch on that six mentioned earlier was through flights check flights dailies weeklies uh uh, phase maintenance all those things are to ensure that that the aircraft remains remains safe and sound so same thing for submersibles i got to imagine there's some type of check that's going on when they get back into port every so often somebody's diving under that hull and inspecting hull for damage and and wear and corrosion and doing underwater welding where they need to and repairs you know so with with unfortunately with the the whole ocean gate submersible if it had made it back to the surface would they have even done anything cool throw it back on the boat let's head back to shore and uh wait for the next group of buyers or you know people to next group of tourists would anything have been done? Oh, I'm sure something, maybe a little here and there, but probably not to the extent that it should have been. Yeah, I, I would. I, that's another what if question. Like uh, I would have, like what what was the routine on this thing? And that kind of touches base on on some of the other stuff we have talked about, like survivorship bias, right? Like. Uh, I would imagine if they've learned anything, they was like, okay, like it was a little cold. Let's put some stuff here or they'll, they'll aim direction on places where they saw um, stresses, but not to the, not in the areas where it should have been. And uh, what I mean by this is like, say like um, uh, for instance, like uh, an aircraft gets shot full of holes, but it still flew its way back. It's like, okay, cool. Let's, let's fill those holes with plates or some kind of reinforced material and without thinking like you know what like it still came home with all those holes in it so maybe we should beef up the places that didn't have holes <laughs> you know stuff like that right so i'm, I'm kind of going on a tangent here but that kind of goes into the lessons learned of it all like uh, the reasons why we have these tests is because we're we're placing the best effort, the best resources in the places that need it, the most. Like such oh, as the, oh, were you just talking about the P thirty eight? I believe that's what it was. Talk about the holes where it came back, and it and had the whole hole. thing was riddled. They're like, oh my god, we got to beef up these whole things, and we're like, and the engineers went, well, why it made it back with all these? Uh, we just need to keep the pilot protected. So they put a titanium tub in the cockpit, and that's what the pilot flew in to protect him. 
and they yeah. let the, the rest of the airframe go. In fact, yep. they drilled holes in the flaps so they could dive faster to keep up <laughs> with the Japanese zeros. Yeah. So, uh, no, no, you're no, you're absolutely right. That's 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 exactly what it is. You know, like like uh, it's that it's through that kind of uh, extension or that that type of uh, feedback. We're like, okay, you know, like let's put it in the areas that matter the most instead of the areas where we think it matters. That's where I kind of went with the survivorship bias because I would imagine if this sub were recovered and the people were or didn't suffer any type of major injuries. They would have just been like, okay, let's put two Xbox controllers into this thing instead of one, you know, and focus their efforts in the survivorship bias of it all instead of like focusing on the areas that really needed the attention. Like, I don't know, uh, a hole that's rated for 4,000 meters or, or maybe or, some or a backup, uh, like almost scuba mask with small oxygen tanks. So in case you do have to abandon ship. Yeah. Right. Or like, say like once it hits a certain depth and it loses contact, like it's, it's supposed to like, understand that turn to surface yeah yeah right like warning 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 and then come right back up kind of like how some gps systems where like if it loses signal it just kind of like floats around in a circle until it finds itself again kind of thing yeah. um that, at least that's would have been mine that would have been mine if that's if there's um something that prevents that by all means tell us but that's what kind of like what i would say if i lose contact with surface for more than i don't know 20 minutes that's like okay, it's time for us to go up. It's time for us to surface. Fuck this. You know, it's not the day to, it's not the day to die, you know? Um, well, think about, look at like uh, NASA shuttle launches. How many times does it canceled because the wind picked up by three knots? Yep. Crosswind, right? Nope, canceled. Conditions ain't, aren't good enough. I mean, the same thing should be done in that, in that regard. Hey, look, and you know, I know I understand it's private sector stuff, but still, it should be one of those like, hey, you know, we, we had our day of checks with the submersible and we're getting a, we're pinging a small, an error on, uh, you know, redundant system number three. Oh, well, there's two, still two systems in place. Yes, but, but redundant system three isn't working. Why? You know, yeah, we, we need to figure that out. We, we can't send it down with a, unless it's engineers determined that's an ME-eligible item for a submersible, but I, I'm just saying. There's sort of an example like, no, hey, actually the, the the there's an underwater current today of, of, of ten knots, and that that could affect uh, your trajectory towards uh, the Titanic, and throw you off course by approximately five miles per x amount of thousand feet. Oh well, then yeah, I don't feel like being five miles further away from what I'm trying to do underwater. So right, scrap it for today. Yeah, no shit. Or like, uh, hey, we we meant to shoot you towards the outside of the Titanic's hull, but instead we landed you in the in the middle of the freaking captain's freaking quarters, which how you probably have a higher chance of getting stuck. I don't know. I mean, we're 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 playing with some astronomy math at this point, well, you know? Well, yeah. So that's a good point, though. But okay, okay, okay. Let's just say we get you down there. We're down there underwater, and you do get stuck. What's the recovery effort? Do we have another sub on standby that can go down with a little arms on it that can pull stuff out of the way and get you loose? Um, is there arms on the, the existing sub to push you away from stuff? Like Those are the what-ifs that we were talking about earlier, like questions that need to be asked. And that's how we determine you know, stuff in aviation. What are we testing? Well, yeah. what's the mission we're doing? Well, we would like to be able to fly at 80,000 feet at, at Mach 3, and uh, the temperatures are roughly this at that altitude. Okay, well, what kind of uh, stressors might we occur even though, so there's lesser gravity? Well, we get random solar flares that fly through there at that level. The ozone doesn't stop them as much at that level, and it could fry our electronics. Ah, so we should probably focus on solar flare protection. Again, a ridiculous example, but an example nonetheless. Yep. And then speaking of that, like with, uh, with the SR 71, just going off on another tangent, like a lot of the equipment there was, the uh, the electronics were air quote, not electronics, like, cause, uh, with the altitude they're at, at the speed that they're going, a lot of traditional electronics would just melt <laughs> on that, uh, aircraft. So they figured a way to, uh, make a lot of their air quote electronics, like hydraulically driven. So it acts in the same way as a computer does, but instead of circuits and electricity, it's hydraulic fluid. So what a 
bomb idea to do that, right? But again, like you would figure that out just by doing all these stress tests a bit instead of just like kind of watching a cartoon say and say, well, fucking SpongeBob did it. So why can't I, you know? And that's, yeah. and that's sadly how a lot of uh, individuals think like, well, I saw it in a movie once, so we can totally do that. Right. Or the R and D of NASA or the military or some other super billionaire person has the know-how to do this. I'm sure they have, but you know, like that, if they did, there would also be some kind of uh like regulatory step that would say, Hey, you know, you might want to take a look at this first before you start sending radio shack equipment down to the depths of the abyss, <laughs> you know, like for all we know, you might discover something that you're totally not looking for and not in a positive way, you know? So, uh, case in point, like, uh, these things exist for a reason. They're these tests as redundant, as painful as they can be. They exist for a reason. And although we'll, 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 we'll address that some of them are a little convoluted, some of them are a little over the top, but that kind of goes into that what if scenario, right? Like that, that what's the, what happens if we don't do it or what happens if we skip a step or whatever have you. And then like uh, other examples, like MVP said, like, uh, what's, what, what if an emergency situation pops up? What if a, a, uh, what if and a megalodon com- attacks, right? <laughs> Just so you all know, that is one of the thoughts out there that yeah. come to light. <laughs> that is and one of the... Re- and the reason behind it was, is because on that same continental shelf down towards the Carolinas, a great white shark shark was tagged. A 10-foot great white shark was tagged. And so they were they were watching its, you know, it, its swim patterns and what it was doing. It was swimming at maybe 70 feet down. And then all of a sudden it dove about 2000 feet in the span of like 10 to 15 seconds. But at the same time, the temperature increased to 72.5 degrees when it should have plummeted. And so the only way it could have done that was by being inside of something else. And then four days later, the tracking device made its way to the surface. So after whatever ate it and digested it, that tracker made it through the digestion system and floated back to surface and made it to shore. And that's where they, we're able to pull this data from. So some people were thinking that, you know, uh, a megalodon of types uh, wrecked that thing. Down I mean, low. I, I mean, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, uh, conspiracy theories aside, like I wouldn't doubt something would have done that, right? Because majority of the depths of that level and below are still have yet to be fully explored. So who knows what the fuck's down there, right? If you and I think that's why a lot of people actually have that sort of phobia with. Uh, depths uh i forget the the actual name of the phobia i'd have to google it uh, one day but um there's actually a fear of like ocean depth like they just see pictures of the depth or they even just peer down kind of like how people like are scared of heights but it's the same way except that they're just looking down into the depths of the abyss pretty much and i don't blame them there there's a whole lot of shit down there that we have no idea what the hell's in there and for something like a megalodon or some other type of animal of that size to do some shit like that. Don't doubt it whatsoever. Probably exi- it probably does exist. Like we know more about Mars than we do about the depths of our own ocean, you know. So yeah. <laughs> Tangent <Yep>. aside. <laughs> uh any final thoughts at all about this MVP? Nope. Uh I say nope and here I go talking again. Uh no, not really. I, I don't think I think we covered most of it. Um just know that there's a reason we do R&D and test. Very much so. And on top of that, destructive testing, uh, pre and post-op testing, phase maintenance and all that stuff, as we mentioned throughout the episode. And, you know, survivorship bias, if, they, if things actually did survive, you know, that's something we have to combat with too. But hey, let us know what you guys think, you know, like uh, as more evidence of this stuff comes to light, like what sort of uh, things that you feel could have uh, prevented it and then what sort of stuff that can we take from this and apply to our daily lives too especially in aviation like uh, the importance of testing the importance of of um of r&d the importance of uh, procedures and standards and what sort of things that you feel like if they're not listened to can lead to something as disastrous as 
as a submersible losing itself in the water. Uh, let us know in our comments. Let us know on the social medias, our emails, our website. Whichever way is the easiest for you. The absolute best way to get in touch with us and interact with us is joining Patreon and getting onto our Discord channel. We have all sorts of discussions just like this and we're learning more things uh, by the day uh, just with the conversations from our from the, our patrons. And also we do some other things like playing um, uh, or experimenting with different ideas like with games or comics and stuff like that. But by all means, tell us uh, what you guys think. Uh, and on that note, we thank you all again for listening, and we'll catch you all again on the next one. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. We would like to take this time to thank our patrons for supporting our show and allowing us to make episodes, maintain our gear, and create merch for all of our listeners. With special thanks to Erica Lamont, Chris Hawkins, Eric Shaw, Dan Schubert, Ryan Frushauer, Kyle Keir, Mike Sherwood, Caleb Stockhill, and Jennifer Brofer. Thank you all so much for your support and patronage. If you like our show, please support us on Patreon. You'll receive awesome perks like access to our private Discord, discounts and early access to our merch, first glimpse of our comics and other projects, and so much more. You can further support us and show off your prowess as an aircraft specialist by visiting our shop at cancelformaintenance.com. If you like classy or rugged watches, visit our affiliate Rockwell Time at rockwelltime.com. Use the code CX, the number 4MX, to save 10% off your total order. If you have suggestions for the show or you'd like to be a guest on the show, send us a line on our contact us section at cancelformainus.com and we'll do what we can to get both your ideas and yourself on the show. Please support us on social media like Facebook at Cancel for Maintenance, Instagram at C-A-N-X for Maintenance Podcast, or Twitter at C-X-M-X Podcast. Please check out our new comic series on the Tapas app. Like, share, subscribe, and comment on our comics. Let us know what you think. Thank you all so much for your support and listenership, and we will catch you all next time.